Hello, and welcome to the Embassy City Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's Tim. Hey, hey, surprise. So y'all like, that is not Tim Ross. <laughs> no, no, no. So let me give you a little bit of context for why I'm here. Um, I locked him in the office and then rolled up in here. <laughs> no, uh, your pastor is obviously a phenomenal pastor here for Embassy City. Uh, but he also has an apostolic call on his life. And what that means is that he ministers across the world to many different congregations, and duty calls for him today, so I get to be here with y'all. And uh, I'll just be honest. So, you know, if you were here in July, you know I was here for the month of July, and that week, uh, Pastor Tim and I were talking about the series that he was about to get into uh, and he told me, man, it's going to be a series called uh, Winning Season, and we're about to go off. And then he told me about what he was going to preach, and I had serious FOMO in that conversation. Like, please tag me in on this series. Whatever you got to do, I, I, I'll be there. And so when I heard him preach the first message, scoreboard, and he preached the paint off the walls, I was like, oh, it's about to be a lit series. So he's just been killing it every week. And then when I got that call to come on this series, I was like, all right, God. Because instantly, God gave me a word to share with you. And I am so excited to preach this word because I believe God has got a word for somebody this morning. How many believe that you're in a winning season right now? I don't believe some of y'all. I want those who are in a winning season to give God some praise right now. Hey, hey, if God's been acceptable to you, give him an acceptable praise. But if God's been good to you, give him a good praise. But for some of us, he's been better than good to me, so I'm going to give him a better than good praise. Give him a winning praise. Hey, hey, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. If you give God less praise than you do the Dallas Cowboys, when they win, something wrong. Because my man, my man, the Cowboys, we be praying for them. You know what I'm saying? But God never loses. <laughs> so one more time, I'm going to give you one more opportunity to give God a winning praise in this somebody. Yes! Yes! Scoreboard! Oh, it, it's on now. All right, so grab your Bible. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. While you're turning there, I do want to give so, so much honor to your pastor. He's such a great uh, mentor and friend to me and my family, and I just love him and Juliet. They're amazing people. So thank you, Pastor Tim, if you're watching, for this opportunity. All right, so Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, but we're going to read from verse number 7. But before we do, let me give you a little bit of context for what's going on in 2 Corinthians 12. So um, there have been some in Corinth that are questioning the validity of uh, the Apostle Paul. In other words, his resume, his uh, pedigree, 
whether or not he's worth it. So Paul begins to tell him in chapter 11, we'll dig into it a little more, about his pedigree and about his resume. But then in chapter 12, he opens up by saying, listen, I ain't trying to brag, but there was a man. He's speaking of himself in the third person. He says, there was a man that 14 years ago was lifted up into the third heavens. Now, you may be wondering, like, what's the third heaven? Well, there are three levels of heaven, right? The first level is the one that you and I see outside. When we walk outside, we see the blue sky, we see the birds, airplanes, all that. That is the first heaven. The second heaven would be space. This is where the stars, planets, moon, uh, the sun, galaxies are all in that second heaven. The third heaven is the place beyond that where God dwells. It's the spiritual realm. It's where angels and demons are having uh, battles. It's that third realm. So Paul is telling us that he was lifted up into the third realm, into the heavenly places, and God begins to give him revelations. And we don't know what those revelations are because Paul just describes to us that he was lifted up into this place and he received great revelation. But he's like this. Y'all, it's so good. I can't even tell y'all what it is. So this is where we pick up in verse number seven. Here we go. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. That word sufficient means it's more than enough for you. My grace is enough for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That word perfect means whole or complete. So God is telling Paul, I will not remove the thorn in your flesh that's harassing you, Because it's actually in the harassment and in your weakness that my power is being strengthened. Check this out. Therefore, now remember, anytime you see the word therefore, go back and see what it's there for. I just taught y'all some English there. So he says, because the grace of God is sufficient for me and because his power is made perfect in my weakness, therefore... I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That last statement right there is an oxymoron, which means it is seemingly contradictory. Now, Sarah and Katie, walking all over my message. I'm like this, please stop, go to the next song. Leave me a little bit of material, please. But the Lord gave me a word to preach to you that are in this building, those that are watching online. And so the title for today is, All I Do Is Win. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got Jesus on my mind. I ain't ever giving up. Because when I walk up in the building, everybody's hands go up. And they stay there. Oh, yeah. Let's pray. Heavenly.
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your mercy. I pray that in this message, you would give us a revelation that all we do is win. There is no losing with you. It's only winning. So in the next few moments, give us ears to hear, a heart to receive, a mind to understand what your word would say to us. Help us to walk out of here changed. We thank you for your goodness, and your mercy, and your grace. In Jesus' name, and everybody say amen. amen. Anybody ever deal with a sore loser? If you're like, I'm not sure, it's probably you. You ever deal with a sore loser, and it is so difficult to deal with a person that is a sore loser. If you don't know what a sore loser is, <laughs> a sore loser is somebody that can't stand losing. In fact, even when it's obvious that they've lost, they won't even accept that they've lost. And anybody dealt with that? Anyone got that person in your family? You know what I'm saying? Christmas time, it's time to play Monopoly. They start cheating. You know what I'm saying? They start hiding money, buying properties that, they, that ain't theirs. Obviously, I'm dealing with trauma from my childhood. Y'all pray for me. But we all probably deal with sore losers, right? Now, now I'm going to take you back because uh, let's just imagine you're 12 years old. A lot of millennials in the house. You're, you're 12 years old. You go to school. And uh, Johnny, who's a kid in your school, has been punking you for several weeks now. And, and you really want to get Johnny back, but you don't know how to do it because Johnny's a little bigger. But you got these words. So you're like, all right. You've been practicing, rehearsing your insults. You end up at school. Now you're walking through the schoolyard and you happen to have an entourage with you. Your homies are with you, other 12 and 13 year olds. And you know, when you're 12 years old and you got an entourage, <laughs> you feel invincible. So you're like this, man, this is the time. This is the season. It's winning season for me right now. So I'm about to go tell Johnny, what's up? So you go with your little entourage and Johnny's playing basketball on the basketball court and it's filled with people all around. And you roll up on Johnny. He's playing basketball. He's bigger than you, but you feel tough. You're like this. Yo, Johnny! Roll up, son. <laughs> Your voice is crackling because you know you're going through that change. <laughs> Johnny stops what he's doing. He has his basketball rolls up to you. What's, yeah, what's up? you like this. Listen, fam. Uh, you're so ugly. <laughs> when you were born, the doctor slapped your mom. Bam, got him. And you walk off and you give it high fives and dabs to your entourage because as a 12-year-old, that's the best insult you could come up with. And it worked, right? You're like, you think, man, I just embarrassed him in front of all these people and my entourage and Sally, who I've been eyeing, she saw me work. <laughs> then Johnny looks at you and he says this phrase, and if you are a millennial, or you don't even have to be, when you hear this phrase, you'll know what's up. Johnny looks you right dead in the eyes, and he says, I know you are, but what am I? Anybody dealt with that trauma? You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, because so, your back is still turned to Johnny when he said it to you, and you're like this, uh-oh, I didn't rehearse that kind of comeback. So your palms start sweating and you get nervous because that was the ultimate clapback. And, and you're trying to think, like, how do I get another one on Johnny? So you try to hit him with a different one. And then he looks at you and he doesn't even come up with a new phrase. He looks you dead in the eyes and says, I know you are. But what am I? You walk off defeated. Why? Because Johnny has a winning mentality. 
Because in Johnny's mind, no matter what you say to me, no matter what you come at me with, no matter who's around, all I do is win. <laughs> so you can hit me with all types of insults. It ain't going to bother me because I know you are. But what am I? This is exactly what Paul was doing in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. See, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we read about Paul, and he's writing to the church at Corinth, and he's like, listen, uh, there's a lot of people, he calls them the super apostles, that are questioning my validity. They think that I don't have the pedigree or the resume to hang with them, but, but let me just let you in on a little secret. Like, they say they're Hebrews, well, guess what? So am I. They say they're Jews, well, guess what? So am I. They say they're of Abraham's seed, well, guess what? So am I. They say they are laborers in Christ, but guess what? I'm a better one because all I do is win. But then Paul does something very interesting. You see, when I've hired people in the past, I usually have two questions for them. The number one question I ask them is, tell me about three of your strengths, your greatest strengths. And man, people will come up with stuff so quickly. They'll hit you with like, well, I'm like, I'm like super loyal. <laughs> I don't know why I'm talking like that, but just there's good roll with it. I'm like super loyal. Um, I'm really efficient, and I, I'm a really hard worker. You're like, okay, great. Then I hit him with this. Tell me about your three greatest weaknesses. You know how hard it is for people to think of their weaknesses? Usually because they don't want to reveal their weaknesses because they feel like I'm not going to get the job if I reveal to you my weaknesses. So they'll usually do one of two things. They'll either not tell you the truth, or they will try to flip the script on you and say, well, honestly, like, my strengths are my weaknesses. <laughs> like, I'm loyal, but I'm, like, loyal to a fault. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm reliable, but I'm so reliable, I work too many hours. <laughs> I'm efficient, but I'm so efficient that it makes people feel insufficient. <laughs> but, but Paul flips the script, and Paul says, I could give you every accolade of what I've accomplished. I can tell you that God revealed himself to me on the road to Damascus. I can tell you that I hung out with the apostles themselves. I can tell you uh, that, that, that I've have all this. I've sat at the feet of Gamaliel. I can tell you about all the studies I've done. I can tell you all of that. But I'm not even going to tell you that. You know why? Because I'm going to boast of my weaknesses because what I've realized as an apostle is that every time you think I'm losing, I'm actually winning. Because when you're a child of God, no matter what you go through, no matter what you face, God's power is perfected in your weakness. So Paul says, guess what? I'm going to tell you about the stripes that I received. Forty stripes saved one. I'm going to tell you about the time they beat me. I'm going to tell you about the time they abandoned me. I'm going to tell you about the time they falsely accused me. I'm going to tell you about the time they called me a heretic. And in all those things, I'm more than excited. You know why? Because while it looks like I'm losing to you, I'm actually winning because in whatever circumstance that I go through I am a winner because all I do is win what you have to understand is that no matter what you go through in life when you're a child of God you never lose even if they abandon you God will adopt you even when they talk the falsely about you God will tell you the truth even when they leave you by the side of the road, God will pick you up because God works in reverse. So let me give you a little more word because in Daniel chapter three, we read this story about the three Hebrew boys. Now, let me give you a little bit of framework. So Daniel chapter three, the entire book of Daniel uh, really recalls an exile. 
So in, in the Jews experienced four different exiles. The first exile was Babylonian. The second was the Persian. The third was the Greek. And the fourth was the Roman. So this is the first exile that they experienced. The exile basically means that, that they were besieged in their homeland and then taken into captivity, taken out of their homeland into captivity, also known as the diaspora, is where they, they get pulled away from their home. So the book of Daniel is all about the first exile. So the, the temple has been built by Solomon. Uh, the Israelites, the Jews, are sitting there in Jerusalem. They have their temple. And then King Neb, Nebuchadnezzar, he comes in and he destroys the temple. He lays siege to the city. And then he takes about 10,000 Jews captive. Now, as was the custom when a king would go in and besiege a, a, a city or country and he would take captives, he would take certain of those captives and he would commit them to eunuchs. Now, I don't think I need to describe to you in detail what a eunuch is, right? But basically it was emasculated. So you have Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that get taken out of their home they're exiled into Babylon. They're, they're given uh, the responsibility to take care of the king's kingdom. They're emasculated and they're made to serve under a king who is a godless man. Now, just imagine every one of those situations seems like a loss, right? You lost your home. You lost your temple. You lost your friends. You lost your family. Now you lost your ability to reproduce and you lost the God that you serve. Now you're in a seemingly hopeless, lost type of situation. And yet in the middle of that, Nebuchadnezzar goes, you know what? Uh, I got an idea. Let me erect a statue of myself. So he builds a statue about 90 feet tall, nine feet wide, and, he's, and he puts out a decree. He says, hey, at the time when the music plays and you hear it, it's time to drop on your knees and worship the idol. So a few days go by and people are doing it, right? Now, it gets, word comes to Nebuchadnezzar through some officials. Hey, fam, listen, I know you sent a decree that when the music plays, uh, we're all supposed to bow down and worship this image, right? But I have it on good authority. You know, you always got them snitches, right? <laughs> I have it on good authority. I can't tell you who told me, but I know that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three of your officials are not doing it. And you said those that don't do it are going to get thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. So King Neb is like, all right, fam, bring them here. So they bring them. Now, now if you ask me, if you ask Tim Rivers, what would you do <laughs> if there was a statue? All you got to do is bow down. If not, you're going to get thrown into the fire. Now, let me tell you what I would do. Can I just be honest with y'all? I would probably take a knee, but be praying to God. <laughs> I'd be like, listen, I ain't trying to get thrown in the fire, but I'm also not going to worship this statue. So I'm just going to take a knee, but I'm going to pray to God. I'll be like this, God, I'm not bowing to that. I'm actually bowing to you. So I hope that you don't take this as an offense. You know what I'm saying? Like, God, just see me through. You know the circumstance that I'm dealing with right now. 
you know, so many, many Jews were actually bowing, and I'm sure they rationalized why they were bowing. Hey, God, if you get me through, if you get me out of this, I, I'll, I'll flip the script. I'll get back to it. But, 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 but these three dudes said, you know what? We're not doing it. So Neb rolls them up, and he says, hey, listen, guys, I heard it's come by good authority that you guys are not bowing, and you already know what the consequences are. I'm going to throw you into a burning, fiery furnace if you don't do it. So I'm going to give you one more opportunity. So he plays the music again, and they don't do it. So then Nebuchadnezzar says, you know what? Tell me what God is going to deliver you. Bad mistake. Because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego look at him and say, listen, fam, uh, we don't even have to give you an answer. You can read about it. Daniel chapter 3. We don't have to give you an answer. But since you asked, I'm going to humor you, and we're going to tell you what's up. First of all, God is well able to deliver us out of this fire. But if he doesn't, just know that God is still delivering us out of your hand. Because if you throw us in the fire, one of two things is going to happen. Either God is going to work a miracle and we're going to walk out of the fire or we die in the fire. Either way, we're delivered out of your hands. Sometimes you got to understand, church, sometimes the fire is the deliverance. <laughs> Sometimes God uses the trial to separate you from the place that you've been. Sometimes that separation from that person is the very thing that's saving you. Sometimes you may be wondering, oh, God, let this stick together. And God says, no, I got to split it up because I can't do what I want to do in your life because you're attached to the wrong person. I can't, I can't give you that new job unless you get fired. I can't show my miracle in your life until you get a sickness. Sometimes the fire is the deliverance. Somebody praise God for the fire. So, so these three dudes are like, listen, you can throw us in the fire. And here's, here, here's what we believe. We believe that God is well able to deliver us out of the fire. But if he doesn't, he's still going to deliver us out of your hand. So King Neb is furious. He's angry. He's upset. And he says, you know what? We're going to turn up the fire seven times. I don't know what it takes to turn up fire seven times. <laughs> But somehow he had it figured out. He had it figured out. And I'm sure it took a little time. So I'm sure in Neb's mind, he was like this. I'm going to give him one more opportunity because this is embarrassing to me to have my officials not bow down. So I'm going to give them enough time for this fire to get hotter to change their mind. But they sat there and they weren't changing their mind. And here's what I love. It's one of the most, in my opinion, gangster phrases in the Bible. They all look at Nebuchadnezzar and say, listen, you might go through with your plan for us to lose. You may go through with being able to throw us in the fire. You may go ahead and have the authority to, to execute on us. But here's one thing. But if not, I'm praying that God delivers me. But if not, I still ain't going to bow to your idol because all I do is win. No matter what you throw at me, no matter how much you think I'm losing, no matter how much you think I'm prepared, I'm not prepared, no matter how much you think I'm disqualified, no matter, no matter how much I prayed for it and the miracle hasn't happened, but if not, I still give God praise. I prayed for healing, but if not, I'm still going to worship. I prayed for a miracle, but if not, I'm still going to praise. What do you do with a person that has a but if not attitude? You can't touch him. Can I tell you, you can go into your job and your boss can talk about you behind your, behind your back and make plans to fire you. But if you have a but if not attitude, what you going to do? What kind of trial are you going to put me through, devil? What kind of situation are you going to throw at me? What kind of circumstance are you going to put me in? 
There's literally nothing that will happen if you have a but if not attitude. So these three young men, they say, what? But if not, we still believe that God's going to come through. Now, imagine you're one of the three. I, again, Tim Rivers, in that circumstance would be like, God, I know I said, <laughs> but if not, <laughs> but we got a small window for you to snatch us up out of here. Because I may change my mind by the time this fire gets heated up. But they keep on. So the fire is so hot that King Neb, he, he grabs, he has his guards grab these three men. And the fire is so hot that the men that brought him to the fire got burnt up by the fire. So they throw him into the fire. And King Neb thinks, oh, I guess that's it. Now, I'm sure he still had some emotions because these were three very good men in his kingdom. But he, he had to kill them by principle, right? So King Neb is like, you know what? I got I to gotta, I gotta stop thinking about this. So y'all bring me my wine. Somebody get my charcuterie board, please. Get my grapes. <laughs> grab my olives. Somebody grab my olives. <laughs> grab my caviar. Y'all know this is a sad time. And so he's sitting there and he's chilling with all his governors and everybody else. And, and while he's sitting there, he starts hearing something. Y'all, I hear something. It sounds like it's coming from the fire. What's that sound? And faintly he can hear. All I do is win, win, win. You can throw me in the fire. All of my hands go up. And King Neb's like, wait a minute. Do I hear them singing? All I do is win. <laughs> so, so he gets closer and he peers into the fire. And when he looks into the fire, he is shocked and surprised because when he threw them into the fire, he threw them in the fire, bound hand and foot in their clothes, their tunics and their hats. But when he's looking into the fire, he is confused because now not only are they walking around as if nothing's happening, there's also a first person in there that looks like the son of a God. So he looks at all of his governors and he's like, fam, I thought we heated up the fire. What, what these guys got fireproof clothes on? That technology hadn't even been developed yet. Why are they walking around? And so he calls after them, hey, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I believe that your God is real. If it's you, come up out of there. And the scripture says they didn't have to pull them out. They didn't have to grab them out. They didn't have to lift them out. The scripture says that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come strolling up out of the fire like nothing ever happened. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. God, and they came up out of the fire. The scripture says that not a hair on their head was singed. Their clothes wasn't burnt. They didn't even have the smell of smoke on them. Oh, I'm about to preach now because some of y'all are in the middle of a trial and you're trying to figure out who's going to get you out and what type of situation is going to snatch you out but I hear God saying by the time he gets through doing what he does you will walk out of the trial none singed no smell of smoke the power of God on you because while you may be weak the strength of God is being developed in your life Woo, 
I may just be preaching to myself, but somebody in here, you may be dealing with a situation that seems like a loss. It seems like a failure. It seems like people are like, why are you in this situation? And, and people don't understand like why you're still going to church and why you're still praising. And there are, are, there are people in your life like the friends of, of, of Job who said, you know what, just curse God and die. But somebody in here, you better, you better listen to me, preach and tell you that while it may seem like a loss to everybody else, with God, you never lose because all you do is win. Even when it doesn't look like it, you still win. So I want to tell you three things that winners do. Number one is winners expect opposition. <laughs> hey, let me tell you something. The reason why people come after LeBron, Michael Jordan, all the greats is because they win. The devil ain't worried about losers. <laughs> you know, people like, they ain't praying. They ain't reading the word. They ain't involved in church in any kind of way. And they're like, man, the devil's been after me. No, that's, that's you. <laughs> Hate to tell you that. But you ain't a threat to the kingdom of darkness unless you winning. So when you winning, yeah, Satan's going to come after you. In fact, Peter says it this way. Think it not strange, the fiery trials which are to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. When you go into a battle, you go into a battle knowing that you're going to win. <laughs> and so Satan gets upset with winners. Why? Because winners win. <laughs> so when you walk into any type of situation with a winning mentality, just expect that Satan's going to fight you. Satan is going to come after you. Why? Because he doesn't want you to win. But here's, here's, here's just a note for Satan. Fam, we win anyways. <laughs> no matter what happens. Because even in the prophetic word that went forth about the Babylonian exile, guess what? There was an expiration date. When the prophets foretold about the Babylonian exile, they said 70 years. So whoever was in captivity knew if I could just hang on for a few more years, God's going to come through. Because every trial, every temptation, any weakness that you go through, it has an expiration date. Everything that you might be facing, it has an expiration date. So when I face the devil, you know what I tell him? You only got a little bit of time to make this work. Because when I come out of it, I'm going to come out swinging. Boy, that was fast, wasn't it? <laughs> Woo! Yeah. But the reality is when you're a winner, you can expect opposition. Here's the second thing that you can do if you're a winner. Keep the faith. <laughs> so many people stop because they're in the trial. Remember a few weeks ago, I preached a message called, Why in hell would you stop? Because when you have faith and you know that God is with you, no matter what you go through, you know that God is going to take you through. The word faith means believing that God tells the truth. It's literally what faith means, believing that God tells the truth. The scripture says we walk by faith and not by sight. So let me put that phrase in there. We walk by knowing that God tells the truth and not by sight. That means no matter what you're looking at, no matter how you feel, no matter other people's opinion about your situation, all you do is win. And so if you have a but if not attitude, that makes you a winner. Can I tell you, every person in the Bible that was greatly used of God went through a season of opposition. Went through a season of trial. Every single person. There's not a single person in the canon of scripture that didn't go through something 
before they were mightily used of God and while they were mightily used of God. So as a winner in this winning season, understand first and foremost that you're going to face opposition. But secondarily, keep the faith. Keep thinking about the promises of God. Keep thinking about the fact that God said that you're the head and not the tail. That he's going to put you above and not beneath. That he's going to make you the, borrower, the, the lender and not the borrower. Keep the faith. And here's the third thing. Win. Winners win. Losers lose. Even in every situation that you face, understand that you will win. If the person left you, you still win. If they talk about you, you still win. If they lie on you, you still win. When you don't get the doctor's report that you want, you still win. When you don't have people agree with the decision that you made, you still win. When people said that you will never amount to anything, you still win. In every situation, that you go through, you still win. And somebody needs to be reminded of this fact today. That even though you may be staring at a losing situation, you're still a winner. Because this is what happened even to Joseph. We know the story of Joseph. A young man who has the promise of God on his life. God gives him dreams. So Joseph being a young man who doesn't have a lot of wisdom, is waiting for the right opportunity to tell his brothers the dreams that he's had. Number one, make sure you don't share your dream with everybody. Some things are better unsaid to certain people. So Joseph is hanging out with his brothers. They're taking care of work in the field. And they're gathering up wheat, bundles of wheat, and he does what any little brother does. He's like, speaking of wheat, <laughs> I had a dream that there were 12 bundles of wheat. And I was standing there and they were bowing to me. And so uh, I really feel like that was y'all. <laughs> and they're like, boy, you crazy, die. Like, you got into the wrong shrooms. <laughs> <laughs> And they disregard it. Then a few weeks later, they're all around a campfire. Somebody's playing the harp. They're singing whatever song. And the clear sky is up above them. And Joseph's like, here's my opportunity. So Joseph's like, speaking of stars, <laughs> I had this dream that there are 12 stars and the moon and the sun and they bowed to me. I really feel like that was y'all. <laughs> enough is enough. So his brothers are like, you know what? Forget you, bro. You went in with these dreams, but we're going to crush them. So they sell them into, they first of all put them into a pit, leave them there to die. And one of the brothers is like, y'all, we can't do that. Because then his blood's going to be on our hands. So let's just sell them into slavery. And that way, you know, it's all done with. So they sell them into slavery. And everybody thinks that Joseph just lost, right? Because his brothers don't believe his dream. His parents don't believe in his dream. He's been left for dead. Then he gets sold into slavery. Then Potiphar's wife is falsely accusing him. And then he, sends, he ends up in prison and nobody, everyone forgets about him. It looks like his life is a total loss. But God, 
at the opportune time, in the right moment, snatches Joseph out of prison, has him interpret a dream, and now he becomes the second most powerful man in Egypt. And then his brothers have to face him when they have nothing, when they're actually losing. They roll up on him. Could you imagine what Joseph felt like doing? I bet in the background he had it playing. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Oh, I'm sorry, guys. Change the track, guys. Change the track. But Joseph was able to look at his brothers, and he said, what you meant for evil, what you thought was a loss, what you perpetrated on my life because I told you the truth, what y'all tried to squash, that weakness is what God used to make me strong. And because I was able to have the mindset that all I do is win, God brought me all the way here so now I can feed you. I wonder in this place how many Josephs we got in the room. How many people we have in the room who seemingly are going through a losing situation where maybe you're going through a divorce. Maybe you're going through a trial in your health. Maybe you feel like things are just not picking up. And it's not everybody, but there's somebody. And you're tempted to throw in the towel and say, God, I wasn't expecting all these losses. Yo, we in a winning season series. And like Katie said, all I'm taking are L's. But I'm here to tell you that God will flip it around for your good. Because <laughs> even, even if you are the tail, God will turn it around and make you the head. <laughs> even if you're on the bottom, God will flip it around and make you on top. Even if you're in the presence of your enemies, God will pull out a table, set down some turkey, some dressing, some gravy, some mashed potatoes, and fix you a meal right in the presence of your enemy so you may laugh in derision. But, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Because at the end of the day, God has the last laugh. <laughs> so what am I preaching? I'm preaching. All you do is win. Well, I don't feel like it, Tim. It don't matter. Winning in the kingdom of God isn't based on feelings. It's based on facts. The world will tell you, go by your feelings. Then go by, put your faith in your feelings, and then you'll end up with the facts somewhere down the road. In the kingdom of God, in the economy of God, you start with facts. The fact is God is good. The fact is God always wins. The, the fact is God will never leave you or forsake you. I start with the facts, and then I lead my emotions into the fact that God is good. So if you feel like you're losing, that's a non-issue. Like, go get therapy for sure. You know what I'm saying? Talk to some friends. Deal with that emotion. But let me tell you something. Your emotions don't dictate whether you win or not. Because in the kingdom of God, all we do is win. So you would bow your heads, close your eyes. I don't know who I'm preaching to right now. But I feel like there's somebody in this place that you're dealing with what seems to be a losing situation. You feel like, and I really feel like this is why God has orchestrated that through the mouth of three different people. He's telling you, no matter what it looks like in this, in this moment right now, God has drawn you. God has, God has pulled you 
to lock into this series because he wants you to know that you win and you're a winner no matter what. So if you're in this place and you feel like, man, I've been going through something, just slip your hand up if you don't mind. You feel like you're going through a losing situation. You feel like losses is kind of around you. Just slip your hand up. If you're online, just put it in the chat. There, there you go. Just lift it up as high as you can because I want to pray for you. Lord, you see these hands that are lifted here presently and online, and I pray right now that you would give us a supernatural faith, a supernatural understanding that in our weakness, your strength is made perfect. When we don't feel like we're winning, we're still winning because you're a winning God. We've already read the back of the book. We already understand who's on the throne. We already know how all this pans out. But sometimes while we're going through the trial, it feels daunting. It feels hard. It feels insurmountable. But I'm praying for your children right now that they would understand in whatever season that I'm in, I will be content in my weaknesses, in my afflictions, in my persecutions, in my abandonment, in my emotional turmoil, in my tough dreams. In every season that I'm in, I will be content. Why? Because I understand that your strength is made perfect in my weakness. So Lord, today we embrace every weakness, every loss, every trial, every tribulation, because we know that there's something greater that you're doing in us. So no longer will we ask God why, but we will ask God what. <laughs> what are you doing in my life? So right now, I thank you, God, that you have set us up to win. In Jesus' name. And everybody shout amen. amen. Give Jesus one more ovation of praise. Thanks for listening today. If this message spoke to you in any way, please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and leave a review too. We would like to connect with you. For past messages, updates, and more, please visit embassycity.com. You can watch live on Sundays and view past messages on our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash Church. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Embassy Urban. If you'd like to support more of what we're doing, you can give online at embassycity.com or text embassycity, all one word, to 77977. We pray you have a great week. Thanks for listening today.